The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for just a fresh look at your word, God. I pray that the truth of the gospel will... um, Be here in our hearts and our minds, Lord, and that we will see how, for each of us, it applies to us and is good news to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Janie. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City, and I want to say happy Father's Day. Uh, For some of you, uh, yeah, give it up for the fathers here, the dads. Um, That's an important responsibility. Happy Father's Day to the first-time fathers. And so uh, my brother-in-law, Nathan, I'm excited to be an uncle. And uh, yeah, it's a a huge responsibility uh, to be a dad. And one of the things that is placed on our shoulders is to have good dad jokes, you know? And so uh, I had to share one this morning, and I use the word good loosely, um, but I'm just going to share it with you. Um, What did the daddy buffalo say to his son when he left for work? Bye, son. I'll leave that there for you. You can use that anytime. Uh, But in all seriousness, uh, we need more uh, godly dads, dads. you know, one of the things that, that we see is that uh, being present is so important. It's so important. And so uh, just praying that, that we uh, challenge each other to be uh, godly uh, men and fathers, husbands. Uh, so we're going to continue in our series right now in the book of Acts. 
And our text for today is from Acts 13, 26 through 41. And the message is experiencing God's promises. Experiencing God's promises. Stephen Richards once said, promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. Think about that for a minute. Promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. And as we think about Father's Day, uh, we might think of broken promises or things that have happened in our past that we relate to experiences that might have hurt us or scarred us in some way or another. See, promises are extremely important in our social fabric to uh, build trust and build relationships, healthy relationships around us. In one article, uh, Dr. Gregory Jantz said the effects of empty, uh, broken promises can run deep. Here are some of the potential long-term effects. Distorting what's normal, undercutting of a healthy sense of self, potential for emotional abuse, uh, caution, fear, or even suspicion in relationships, feelings of abandonment, hypersensitivity, cycling the pattern of abuse, codependency, uh, excessive compliance or passivity. You see, as I read some of those things, there might be some of us that say, I can relate. Yeah, that's real for me. See, promises are important for all of us to build trust. And in today's text, we see that promises are also important to God. But I want us to know that today, God is not like our earthly dad. God is different. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God never breaks his promises. And for those of us who've gone through life and maybe the, the, the residue of, of sin has maybe tainted our view of can I really trust? I want to invite you in today to know that there's a heavenly father that is trustworthy, that never breaks his promises. And so the question is, well, how can we uh, see a God who keeps his promises through Jesus? Because this message today that the Apostle Paul is giving is a message about how faithful God is at keeping his promises. And again, our text is from Acts 13, 26 through 41. And so just to give some context, if you're just joining us today, uh, at the beginning of chapter 13, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark are sent out on the first missionary journey. And, and they first preach the gospel in a place called Cyprus. And then they head off to a place called Perga, and some relational conflict starts to arise. Now, we're not sure what happens, but John Mark heads back home. Um, and, and this will come up later in, in an issue that, that will divide, eventually divide Barnabas and Paul. But in today's text, Barnabas and Paul travel to an area near Galatia. And so if you've ever read the Bible, you, you know the, the, the book of Galatians. And so same people group there. 
But in this area, Paul begins to preach. And so there's a shift that starts to happen. When, when, we, when we look at the book of Acts, we see that it was Barnabas and Paul. But now we're starting to see Paul start to rise up and take on some leadership. And so we're starting to see not Barnabas and Paul anymore, but Paul and Barnabas. And, and Paul is stepping up to preach in today's text. And in this sermon, we hear how God has kept his promises through Jesus. So what can we learn today about God's promises? Well, there, there are three aspects that we can pull from today's text as we study the word. Here's what we see, is that God's promises are built upon, number one, a weighty sacrifice. Number two, a tangible reality. And number three, a better hero. A weighty sacrifice, a, a tangible reality, a better hero. So the first one is this, a weighty sacrifice. Verses 26 through 29 say this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all of what was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now what's Paul saying here as he's preaching this message? Well, the first one is this. In verse 26, he says, To us, this message, or to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Now what is the Christian message? Right? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the, the message that we believe in? As we've seen already through the book of Acts, the message that, that we see, this message specifically, is not a moral code. It's not some idea or a philosophy. The message is a person. It's a person. And that person is God in the flesh. Remember, Jesus did not come to be a good teacher or a philosopher. He came to be Lord and Savior. And he came relationally. He came near to us. That's the message of Christianity is that it, that it is bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. And what happened when he came? What happened when Jesus started to speak the truth? What happened when, when they started to experience the grace of God face to face? Verse 27 says, we condemned him. We condemned him. See, what are the promises of God built upon. They're built on the, 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 the truth that God came near to us, but also the sad reality that it was a costly sacrifice. The historical fact that, that, that God suffered and died. You won't find that in any other religious structure, a God that suffers and dies. Now, why did he do it? Well, Preacher John Stott once said, he says, the real sting of suffering is not misfortune itself, nor even the pain of it or, or the injustice of it, but the apparent God-forsakenness of it. You ever felt that before? Pain is endurable, but the seeming indifference of God is not. We think of him as an armchair spectator, almost gloating over the world's suffering and enjoying his own insulation from it. It is that terrible caricature of God that the 
cross smashes to smithereens. Do you, do you hear what he's saying here? We can't think of God in, in the, the sense of, of, of that God is just this absentee father in heaven watching as we go through our sufferings and endure our pains. No, but we see that he is a God and a father who comes very near and suffers himself for it. Let me ask, are you suffering today? Are you confused? Are you lost? Do you feel alone? The the God of the Bible can relate. He went through it all. Why? He did it for you. He did it for me. Hebrews 4.15 says, "For, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's an interesting video on YouTube. It's kind of gone around. It's, it's by a, a person, a, a lady named Brene Brown, and she talks about the difference between sympathy and empathy. And she talks about how sympathy keeps a distance, but empathy is willing to go down into the pit with you. And today, what we can see is that there's a God who comes in and empathizes with our weaknesses. See, Jesus died in public, not in private. It was a very public execution of Jesus. Why is that important? Well, he did it so that all humanity would know that you're not alone in your suffering, but that God willingly endured the greatest pains and injustices for you and me. Now, with that, let's look at verses 28 through 29. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. See, this is the weighty sacrifice that anyone who hears the gospel message, as you're hearing it today, has to sit with. Right? We can't cover our eyes from it, but we have to sit with this and the fact that God willingly stepped into that suffering for us. You see, that's how damaging sin really is. We like to sugarcoat it. We like to say it's not that bad, but it, it cost our Savior his life. That's how damaging sin is. Charles Spurgeon once said, if Christ has died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I can't trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. Think about that for a minute. Why would he say something like that? It's because he's feeling the weight of what his best friend went through for him. There's a weighty sacrifice. But second part is this. As we look at the promises of God, there's a tangible reality. Look at verses 31 through 33, the first part of 33. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Now, to set this 
point up. I, I need to, to read from a, a commentator, a, a biblical scholar named Tony Morita. Here's what he says. He said, here's what's happening here. He says that the people actually thought Jesus was the opposite of who he really was. So they had him executed. Right? And I just want to stop there for a minute. And some of you, like, maybe we've grown up and we think that God is this distant God, that, that, that really is, a, is an absentee father, isn't really there, is just asking us and putting more pressure on us to, to do more and be more. Further, the fact that Jesus was crucified was proved to his opponents that he was an imposter since the scriptures teach that God sets a curse on any who hang on a tree. But Paul tells his audience that such a view of Jesus is a man-centered judgment. In raising Jesus from the dead, God confirmed Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Resurrection is verification. The resurrection proved that Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Because the gravity of the, the sacrifice is, 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 is not the period, but the resurrection. That is where the story begins. You see, that's where the story begins. See, maybe you've lived your whole life and you thought that God was one way, that he was this angry father asking you to do more and asking you to be more, but, but actually he's the father that comes in and gives his life for his children. He's the one who loves us to the extent that we've needed our whole lives. See, what's the tangible reality that we have to face? It's this. Did it really happen? Did Jesus really do this? You know, in John 20, 25, we have a disciple named Thomas, and, and some of you might know him as Doubting Thomas. I, and, and recently, I was reading this article by Alyssa Childers entitled, I Never Expected to Doubt. Here's what she writes. She says, Thomas was more of a skeptic than a doubter. Maybe some of you today are skeptical. But she says, which is quite reasonable considering the situation. The resurrected Jesus had appeared to the other disciples. Then they told Thomas about it. He replied, unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the, the mark of the nails and place my hand in the side, I will never believe. Bold statement, right? Like today, resurrections weren't everyday occurrences in the ancient world. If they were, they wouldn't be considered miracles. It's perfectly rational and intelligent for Thomas to ask for evidence to back up the claim of his fellow disciples. When Jesus finally appeared to Thomas, he didn't shame him for his skepticism. Instead, Jesus said, put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It was only after offering evidence that Jesus instructed Thomas to believe. Thomas asked for evidence, and Jesus delivered it. Here's the thing. It's not some fairy tale as we think about the resurrection, but it's grounded in history. And it's grounded so much in history that it says in verse 31, And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Now, the, the word for witnesses here is the word martyr. If you, if you know what the word martyr is, you connect it to people who are willingly giving their life for the sake of the gospel. 
witnesses is martyr. And when we think about martyrs, we have to think about the people who ran as Jesus was being crucified. What are some of the the biggest reasons why we can say, yeah, the, the, the resurrection really happened? It's because the people at the time who turned their backs actually were willing to give their life for it. To convince somebody to give their life for a lie after they've seen their Savior hanging on a cross, beaten up, killed, the resurrection has witnesses that were willing to give themselves up. And so what it becomes is this palpable thing where they really experienced it and the resurrection of Jesus changed their lives. Do you know that that reality can break into your world as well? It can meet you right where you're at. The last aspect that we see of the promise is this, a better hero. Look at verses 36 through 39. For for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is really important here. Very important. What's the point that Paul is making? It's this. If you know Jewish history, if you walk through the history of the Hebrew people, the ones that they lifted up, that were prominent figures within Jewish history, are David and Moses. But if you look at the life of David you'll see a man who was an adulterer, who was a murderer, who who was an absentee dad. If you look at the life of Moses, you'll see lies. You'll see cowardice. You'll see brokenness. Every person that we put up on a pedestal at some point will fail us. And we will all need a better hero. And what Paul is saying is that there is a better hero. Because Paul wraps up his sermon by saying this, yes, David followed God, but he died and experienced decay. But Jesus died and resurrected. Yes, Moses gave the law, but Jesus gave us the only answer to the law. In Jesus, we have the perfect hero, the only one who lived the sinless life we should have lived and died the death that we deserved. A better hero. You see, there's all of us in our lives. We're looking for a hero. We're looking for someone to place our faith in, our trust in. And many times what happens is we're let down. But the only one that can stand that test 
is Jesus. I think this is a helpful walk through some of the scriptures and, and really uh, helpful to us as we think about different people in the, the, the Bible. But uh, uh, Timothy Killer says this. He says, that Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's really not about you. It's about him. It's about him. And when your eyes start to see that it's all about him, it'll change you. He'll change you. He's the better hero. And so today, some takeaways. How how can we experience God's promises Right? Because we, we see as, as Paul is walking through his message, he's pointing back to the promises of God, that, that, that God fulfilled it, that God did it, that, that God accomplished it, and that Jesus was right there accomplishing it for us. How can we experience God's promises? Well, number one is this. I encourage you, know what God's promises are. Know what God's promises are. See, many times what can happen is we get confused about what God's promises are. And so we put these expectations on God that God didn't promise. Oh, well, my life isn't as successful as I thought it would be, and so, God, that's your fault, right? Or I went through these difficult things, and so, God, that's your fault. Or or all of these things that we place these expectations on him that are not promises that he said in his word. I like this short list that Jen Wilkin puts together. She says this. She's, he promises to give us wisdom if we ask, James 1.5. He promises to provide a way out of temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what, John 10.28-29. through 29. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13.5. He promises to finish the good work he has begun in us, Philippians 1.6. He promises to come back Luke 12, 40. Right? These are just some of the promises that he, he promises us in his word. But for, for many of us, what can happen is we, we forget the promises. We don't really dive into and learn the promises. And we get distracted and, and disappointed. And we feel like God isn't there. So the first one is know what God's promises are. Number two is this, meditate upon how much it costs. Meditate on how much it costs. And, and this is a really um, difficult exercise because what, what it does is it, it really puts you into a place where you really have to think on how much it costs God to, to be with us, to save us. And so it can be in some ways kind of like this, this very emotional thing, right? Like one of the things I do each year is I, I watch through the, the passion of the Christ. But like even the passion of Christ, it doesn't capture what Jesus really went through for us. 
right? But you got to meditate on, upon how much it, it, it cost. There's this video that I remember seeing uh, a few years back. It's, it's hard for me uh, to, to watch it because it, it's just like so uh, emotional and kind of this, this powerful thing, but it's this dad and a daughter and they're, they're walking up and this daughter's reading this, this, uh, this essay that she wrote about her dad. And she, she starts talking about how her dad, um, is the funniest and the, the, the kindest and, and, and he, he, he has this great job and he has all these things. And then it gets to this point where she, she says, um, but my dad, he really lies. You're like, what? He lies. And, act, and then it shows, like, beneath the surface of what this father was going through, it wasn't just that he was, he had it all together, but actually, he didn't have the money. He's scrambling to make ends meet for his family. He's going through difficult trials and, and things that, he didn't think his daughter actually knew about. And it's this emotional thing because it's like this daughter for the first time is like seeing beneath like, or it's just being exposed like that she saw beneath the surface of like what her dad really went through. What he'd really gone through. What the real story was. And, and for many of us, like, we, we, we see the surface of, of what God has done. We see the surface of, yes, the cross. But, like, are we willing to, like, dive deep into to the reality of what he's done to the point where we see the cost? Because it cost him everything. Right? But, but it changes you when you start to see beneath the surface. And say, oh, that's what he really went through. Meditate upon how much it cost. But lastly, evaluate life through the lens of eternity. Acts 13, 36. I like this. I like this verse right here. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality check for me. This verse is a reality check for me, okay? I, I love it because it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David. Let's put a little blurb in here about David. David, what do you do? Served the purpose of God in his own generation, died, and, w- and, and, and started to decay. David. But then we think about our lives, and we're like, oh, well, I'm so important, or I'm here, or they're like, David. That's the blurb he gets. I've thought about this. I'm like, I would love just to put that on my tombstone. Just as a reminder of like, you know what? Randall, here's your purpose. Serve God in your own generation right now to serve him in the generation that God's placed you in. You're going to die and you're going to be laid with your fathers and see corruption. That's it. That's your life. You know what? It's going to happen to us all. And, it's, and, 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 and the only thing that's going to be left for us on that tombstone is a little blurb about who we were and then you're going to just be like, oh yeah, wow, that was life. But you know what? As I experience the promises of God, I want to leave something that's greater than Randall. It's greater than me. I want to leave a legacy that lifts up Christ and who he is because he's the real story. He's the real hero. But I just want to challenge some of us men today. 
we talked about this at the men's retreat, is that some of the, 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 the things, the past hurts and pains that, that we've experienced, we can allow those things to just ripple into the next generation and pass that on. And we got to pray for, for God to intervene in a Holy Spirit intervention so that we don't pass those things along to the next generation. Right? We want to be healthy men of God. And so I want to encourage you, as you look at the life of David, which David did a lot of great things, but he did a lot of things that were hurtful to his family as well. And that despite that, God used him. That whatever your past is, that Jesus doesn't judge you on your past. He judges you based on his past. And what was his past? He died for you. He died for your sins. He died for the mess ups. He died for all the things that you've done that you regret. And so if you feel like the race is over or you're just kind of like towards the end, you're like, I I can't really work things out or, or make it right. Like I would encourage you, evaluate your life through the lens of eternity and start to see that God wants to redeem some of those things and that he can do it, that he can be the hero of the story, of your story, whatever that history may be. And so I want to leave you with this today. This is the, 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 the truth of the gospel, right? We say, well, how, how can it be true that, that God is there with me through the most difficult, challenging times in my life? How can I know that he hasn't left me? How can I know that he's not going to lie to me like everybody else? I encourage you today. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You want to find the yes and the promises of God? Look to Jesus and let Jesus be the good news for your heart today. If you look at your life and you say, well, I'm going to lift myself up on this pedestal, you know what? It's going to be glaring weaknesses. You lift up another person and say, well, this is going to be the hero of my life. It's going to fall short. But when you put Jesus up there and you say, it's Jesus, he's the one that's perfect. He's the one that's good. He's the one that's pure. And I look to him. You're going to find the yeses, the yes, that your, your heart is always needed. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are good. And that in you, the yeses of the promises are found. Generations waited for a Messiah. They waited to see if you were really going to hold true to that promise that you were going to save your people. And you did it. Help us not to, to miss it. Like those that Paul was preaching to that, that are talked about, the ones that, that saw Jesus face to face and they didn't see that Jesus was the fulfillment. Today, we've got another opportunity to see that, yes, God's promises are true because they're all fulfilled in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.